This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 12, Bullfighting, Bull Worship, and Bullcrap. Hello, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Virla, and you're you. Today, I'm going to bull about bull stuff. From stock markets to fighting, the bull has long been a symbol of strength. And where there is strength, man aims to test his own against it. And this usually manifested itself in the form of bullfights and rituals. So let's get started, shall we? Now today, when people hear bullfighting, they think Spain. And true, this style of bullfighting has a long lineage stemming most likely from prehistoric society's culture of bull worship and sacrifice. But modern Spanish bullfighting evolved over the centuries, and I guess the image of what we think of as Spanish bullfighting, you know, with the matador and the capes, is attributed to Francisco Romero in 1726. He was the first Spaniard to use the moleta, which you probably call a cape, but really it's a red cloth that hangs from a stick. And red, contrary to popular belief, isn't used because bulls hate red. In fact, they're kind of colorblind. But most likely, it was used to mask the blood that would result from the bull fighting, and provide ample contrast to entice the bull with movement. You see, because they like movement and that's what they go after. So this style of bullfighting is highly stylized and is presented in a three acts kind of way, like a play. And the actors in the play are the Matador, three Banderilleros, think of them as assistants, two Picadores, and these are lancers on horses, and of course, the bull. Now, the first stage of this Spanish-style bullfighting is called the Tirico de Varas, or Third of Lances. And this is where the bull enters the ring, and the fighters use this act to observe how the bull reacts to them, and also to stab it in the neck with lances while the uh, picadors are mounted on their horses. Now, this stage, I guess you can say tenderizes the bull and makes it less dangerous for the next stages. Now, before I go further, I will say many people consider this form of bullfighting to be extremely cruel and traumatizing to the bull, and I'm agreeing with that sentiment. I mean, it is pretty pretty brutal, and you know, if you're not into that kind of stuff, don't don't Google videos of it. Now, the next stage is called Tercio de Banderillas, or Third of Flags. So in this part, three banderilleros will attempt to impale the bull's shoulders with some sharp barbed sticks. I call it pokey pokes. And the third final stage, Terrico de Minerta, or Third of Death, is when the matador comes back back into the play with his red cape and a sword and has to kill the bull. This is the part most people think of when they think Spanish bullfighting. It's the one where the 
Matador goes away, and the bull charges several times. So this usually ends the bull's life, but in some cases the crowd can lobby to spare a particularly brave fighting bull, in which the bull can be saved and then is sent out to live out his days with fame and honor in pastures and gets jiggy with other cows, providing a courageous stock for future bullfights. Okay, okay, enough of that. Now, just a little bit about the Spanish fighting bulls, the bulls that they use in Spanish bullfights. Uh, they are raised in a kind of semi-wild state, right? So they're out on these big, big ranches and just live out there free-range in it. And they're bred specifically for their aggression. Now, some studies show that the Iberian fighting bull stock, which is the Spanish fighting bulls, draws some of its lineage from the wild auroch. What's an auroch, you ask? Well, these were the ancestors of modern cattle that lived in Europe, Asia, and North Africa. Before cows, you see, there were these large bovines noted for their ferocity and size. They could weigh between 1,500 and 3,300 pounds and stand at staggering six feet high. The Spanish fighting bulls, however, are much smaller, and they typically weigh between 1,100 and 1,600 pounds, and will max out around four and a half feet tall. Still pretty intimidating, I don't want to go up against any bull. But wow, this auroch sounds badass, Josh! Where can I see one? Well, you can't. The last auroch was killed in Poland in 1627. But this ancient animal is what inspired the bull worship cultures of old. For example, ever hear of the Epic of Gilgamesh? It's an ancient Sumerian story considered the earliest surviving work of literature from, you know, before 2100 BC. It's a poem about the king of Uruk, in an old city in Sumer, and his quest for eternal life. An interesting, nay, incredible story in its own right. Maybe I'll cover that in a future episode. But in one portion of this story, he kills the bull of heaven. Cows aren't such a scary big deal, right? Eh, what's the big deal? Cow, bull of heaven, eh. Well, this bull was an auroch, and if you're going to kill that massive behemoth with your bare hands, as they did in Gilgamesh, then you surely are a worthy opponent indeed. Although, in the story of Gilgamesh, he is punished for doing so. Them gods be crazy, yo! But this was, I guess, the earliest depiction of bullfighting. Albeit between godlike entities. This showed just how in awe ancient societies were of bulls, aka aurochs. In fact, in Egypt, the bull called Apis was worshipped and was seen as a sort of intermediary between humans and gods. He was one of the most important of the important sacred animals in Egypt. Uh, I don't know where he ranked under the cat. You know, everything is second to the cat in Egypt, right? So, Apis symbolized uh, courage, strength, fighting spirit, and fertility. You can see why societies from Greece to India idolized bulls as deities. But back to bull theatrics. Now, the island of Crete, home to the Minoan civilization, was known to worship bulls. In fact, 
Some say the myth of the Minotaur has its roots in the Cretan worship of the heavenly bovine. The Minotaur was a creature with the body of a man and the head of a bull said to live in the center of the famous labyrinth at Crete. So Minotaur means the bull of Minos. And the Minoan culture had a sort of ritualistic sport of bull leaping, where men would jump over bulls and perform acrobatics. Pretty cool looking. I mean, you gotta have some ups to get up over a bull. Now, there is a famous fresco depicting this, and I'll link that to the show notes, because, you know, it's, it's neat and historical. But... Bull leaping wasn't just limited to Crete, however. Bull leaping has been seen in other cultures and, in fact, contemporary ones. Pull out your soft cheeses and baguettes because in the southwest of France, they practice what they call course landaise. Now, I'm sure my French isn't up to speed, but that's how I'm saying it. So the French do this course landaise where they jump over bulls. Although, leave it to the French to de-bull the art of bull leaping, they use cows to jump over. So, cows, you know, females, are considerably smaller and less aggressive than bulls. But the French do, however, use the female stock of the Spanish fighting bulls, and once a year use an actual bull in the festival of art and courage. And the cow is also attached to a rope to help guide it. But no harm becomes of the cow, so that's good. But it seems considerably less manly to jump over a tethered female cow. I think I might even be able to do that with practice and some French wine. Now, Spain does participate in another form of bull entertainment, not just their killy-kill bulls. It's called Rascortes. And they leap over bulls and sometimes use poles to assist them in leaping over them. Kind of like a pole vault thing. So, you know, that's pretty cool looking. And I will also link videos to that in the show notes. Now, this type of entertainment is not as popular as the killing type of bullfighting in Spain. But it is seeing a bit of swell in popularity as time goes on. As many of the younger generation and animal rights group continue to see traditional bullfighting as inhumane. And I agree. Obviously, the upside of not injuring the bull and the added acrobatic performances is a big appeal to the sport. Spain also has a running of the bulls. You may have heard of it. So during the running of the bulls, youngerish daredevils and slash or idiots try to outrun bulls in the streets of Pamplona, Spain. Notable, there have been 15 deaths in Pamplona since 1910 from the running of the bulls and hundreds of injuries every year. So the origins of this type of bull festival uh, began around the 14th century in northeastern Spain. Men would try to hasten the process of bringing their cattle to market by trying to scare their herd into moving quicker. Of course, this eventually led to competition and young men would race the bulls and bull running started to spread through Spain. So there are also bull runnings in other parts of Spain, Portugal, and France. And the U.S. has had some bull runs in recent years, although I'm not brave enough to go to those. Maybe I'll watch. 
But speaking of the U.S., the United States has a different tradition of bull activities, namely bull riding, a.k.a. the ballsiest, most manliest of all livestock follies, excluding chicken rustling. Dang, Hector, you see that bull over there? You mean the snortingest, buckingest, twirlingest, meanest, cantankerous son of a gun this side of the Rio Grande? Yup, the brown one. You mean the one that eats off for breakfast and sure as shoot craps out nails in the evening and is known for goring rattlesnakes just to have horn decorations? The one whose mother was a cactus and father was Beelzebub? Uh-huh. What's his name? Shoot! We call him War Biscuit. Why? Because I'm going to ride him. Time me. Now, American bull riding has its roots in the ranching skill games known as charada. These were similar to modern rodeos, but during the 16th century, charadas gave birth to an event called jaripio. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. My Spanish, not as good as my French. <laughs> now, jaripios were initially a type of bullfighting where the rider would ride the bull till it died. It eventually evolved into simply riding the bull until it was too tired to buck. So these events were common among northern Mexico and crossed over to Texan and Californian ranching communities. You see, they had a lot of back-and-forth exchange between them because their lifestyles were similar. Now, by the 1930s, bull riding, as we know it in modern rodeos, began to ride bulls that were descendants of Texas Longhorn and Brahma cattle. These rodeo riders aimed to stay on top of the hulking 1,600-pound beasts for 8 seconds. Dangerous, but not so much for the bull. It is considerably more humane. Some similar buckarooing can be seen in the sport of Jalakatu, played in India as part of the Pongal celebration. So, in this, the aim is to pluck wads of money, or gold, tied to the bull's horns. And this sort of bull taming has been going on in India since about 400 to 100 BC. And native breeds of Indian cattle were specifically bred for this type of sport. So that's all they do is just breed them to get these things plucked off their horns. The activity also gave incentive to Indian farmers to keep their bulls and gave the community a good male to female ratio for breeding. So... You know, bulls typically aren't as valuable as cows because, one, cows give birth and they provide milk and you can eat them. All bulls really do are get angry and impregnate cows, so you don't need as many of them. But that would kind of lend to a lot of inbreeding if you didn't have a good stock of male bulls to breed with females. So this type of activity in India encouraged them to have a diversified cattle stock. However, the sport of Jalakatu has been under fire of late, and as recently as in 2014, the Indian Supreme Court banned the sport altogether. But due to the public outcry, the Indian government kind of overrode their Supreme Court and passed an exemption for Jalakatu. 
But again, in 2016, the Supreme Court of India upheld their ban on the sport, and this triggered a lot of protest. And back and forth it continues. So it's kind of up in the air if Jalakatu will be continue in India. Now, I find the snatching stuff off bull's horns to be an interesting sport and a good way to get gored in the face. But France has a similar bloodless bullfighting game called Course Libre. And the object here is to grab a rosette from the bull's head. Now before Course Libre, there is also a running of the bulls type of activity before the snatching grab festivities. But the French don't use their bare hands for this because the French like danger, but only just so much. They use a thing called a reset, which is like a crochet hook, and it's a claw-shaped metal device used to pluck the rosettes off the bull's horns. Interestingly, as in Spanish culture, the bulls achieve much fame and honor for their performances and can even get endorsement deals. I wasn't able to actually find any bull endorsement commercials, but I'd imagine a good laxative company could use a spokes bull for a tagline like, no bullshit through lax and like a bull. It sounds better in French, trust me. Anyway, bulls in these type of cultures are elevated often to cult-like status, and maybe none so evident than by the famous Lamborghini company. Now, I hear what you're saying. Josh, what does the maker of some of the hottest supercars known to man got to do with bulls? What's the bull connection? Well, I'll tell you. The founder of Lamborghini, Ferruccio Lamborghini, was a Taurus. <laughs> oh, you want more? Okay, well, Mr. Lambo visited a ranch owned by a friend of his named Don Eduardo Miura. Now, Don Miura was famed for the, you guessed it, the Miura bullfighting bloodline of Spanish fighting bulls, which debuted all the way back in 1849. His lineage of Spanish fighting bulls are noted for being large and difficult to fight, so they're very much prized in Spain. So, Mr. Lamborghini was mightily impressed by these magnificent beasts and thought naming his cars after bulls in bullfighting terms would be the way to go. He produced the Lamborghini Miura from 1966 to 1973, so his aim was to correlate the strength and legend of these bulls with his impressive sports car. And his car featured a V12 345 horsepower engine capable of 170 miles per hour plus. That's my tool time grunt. I don't think that's very good. So in 1968, the Lamborghini company began naming its cars after famous bulls, not just the bull line. The first one, Islero Grand Terrer was named after a famous bull that killed a matador in 1947. This car, strong like bull, and it might kill your ass. This was followed by the Espada, which is Spanish for a matador sword, and eventually Lamborghini produced one of my favorite and ultimate dream cars, the Lamborghini Diablo, named after a famous bull owned by the Duke of Veragua. 
And the Murcielago was named for a bull that survived 28 sword strikes. And the tradition continues. Oh, and also Lamborghini's logo is a bull. And speaking of logos, because of bulls signifying strength and endurance, the bull is not lost to sports teams like the Chicago Bulls, the Houston Texans, the Longhorns. Hey, how about Red Bull? You know that energy drink? Because bulls have a lot of energy, right? Merrill Lynch, the banking company? A bull logo? Bull markets signify strength. Now, there are many more logos out there, and I couldn't possibly go through them all, but you could easily see them in every day or Google them and find ones that you might like. Now, even the name bull shows up in things that we associate with strength and endurance, such as the bulldog. Now, maybe not contemporary bulldogs because they're kind of couch potatoy potatoes, but the original bulldogs, where the breed is um, derived from, was bred to bait bulls. And bull baiting was a sport that pitted bulls against other animals to fight. So that was pretty gruesome. The bulldog name is used to showcase tenacity and determination. You know, like, that guy's a real bulldog. But you had to have these qualities when you're going up against a bull. Also pit bulls and bull mastiffs, etc, etc. Lots of dogs. Now, of course, a bull is a male counterpart to a cow, which is any of various number of cattle breeds. But the word bull is also applied to male members of other bovine species, like bison, water buffalo, and lesser related species like whales, camels, elephants, moose, and elk. Bull is also used in common slang and phrases such as bull in a china shop, to indicate reckless destruction, bullheaded, a generally negative term applied to strong-willed, stubborn, and opinionated people, showed up around 1818 and was because bulls were so focused and unrelenting. You see, bulls were bullheaded. The word bull, however, has nothing to do with bulls, although I'm sure most people think bull, it's a bull pile of poop. So, this word first appeared in 1916 in a T.S. Eliot poem called The Triumph of Bull It is thought that the bull in this case is derived from the old French bol or bowl, meaning fraud, false, or trickery, which aren't really any of the qualities of an actual bull. So how about the word bullseye, as in the standard for a top shot on a shooting target? Now, some say that term, bullseye, got its name from when English archers used to test their skills by shooting at old bull skulls, and the most skilled archers were able to put the arrow in the eye socket. You got a bullseye. Of course, the bull was dead, and they were just using old dried skulls, so, you know, no harm to the bull there. Although others note that the term bullseye might have been used for just about any small circular object back in the day that was about the size of a bull's eye, but I'm sticking to the skull shooting explanation because it sounds more badass. And I think I could probably hit a bull's eye with a bow and arrow. I'm just saying, I'm like Katniss Everdeen, I'm pretty good. So I think that's a good place to leave this episode. 
Hopefully we hit the mark in regards to bulls and their role in history through bullfighting, worship, and pop culture. I think today we often overlook things because we are so far removed from them. If I'd go up to someone and ask them what they think of when I say the word bull, the answers I'd get would most likely be a male cow and bull Few people consider the deep intertwined relationship man had with this animal dating back thousands of years. Representing the most powerful and determined manifestation of spirit, the bull came face to face with man and enticed him to pit his very own spirit against its. And although man has tamed the mighty auroch in today's many cattle breeds, the bull has remained in there to still represent that which is most powerful, determined, and indomitable. An image that demands respect, inspires, and leaves one in awe, and one humans are glad to accept as the epitome of their own ideals. So with that, allow me to haiku you. We're gone, mighty beasts. Bread down, but spirit still there. That ain't no bullshit. And that's all the time I have this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or a haiku as always. Or if you got a show suggestion, you want me to cover a topic, let me know. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Adventures of Lord